0: Alright, here, buddy. So good. So good to see you. And those of you who are online, I can't see you, but I'm so glad you're with us and whatever campus you're at right now. Thank you. There's so many people who are new in our church right now. And I want to welcome you because before you came, I mean, we were okay. But now that you're here, we're so much better. So thank you for being a part of it. And if you want to, if you're wondering, you know, what's a good step to take if you when it's time to take a step into the life of the church or figure out what that would even mean. Uh, your campus host has already talked about, I'm sure, Chase Oaks Go, and let me encourage you to do that. You can do that on the app. You download the Chase Oaks app on your own, or um, you can also go in person at one of the physical locations, and that way you get to interact and all that too with people. So let me encourage you to take that step. So today, we are starting a new series called Far From Perfect about the life of one of the most important people in the Bible— one of the heroes of the faith, a guy named abraham and when when, when to get us into the character of abraham we 're going to have us play a little game so it 's a simple game i 'm just going to show a picture of a person of a famous person, and then whatever comes to mind when you think about that person, you think, "Oh, when I think of that person, I think of whatever and you you can 't be wrong because it 's what you think of it's the right answer so just shout it out. And here's the first one. Albert Einstein. Okay. Smart hair, whatever. Yeah. Uh, how about Gandhi? Uh, peace. Yeah. Got it. Uh, Thomas Edison. Right. We got light bulbs because of him. Colonel Sanders. Thank God for Colonel Sanders. Um, I, I I used to love Kentucky fried chicken. Oh, uh, well, forget that. They put it up. Uh, so Nick Saban, America's coach. Right. Whatever you think of there. And then that gets us to our character today. And that is Abraham. I don't know if he looked like that or not. Maybe he looked more like this. This next one. Um, there we go. Something like that. We have no idea what he looked like, but we do know what he was like because and we know what God thought about him. Like if God was playing the game, we know what he would say. What he would shout out with Abraham, because it's extremely consistent that God holds him up as a picture of big faith, of great faith. Then when God thinks of a human being who exhibited great faith, Abraham is the one that's going to be mentioned. In fact, in Hebrews 11 is this incredible chapter in the New Testament. That's sort of like the hall of fame of faith. We just finished a goat series. And it's like all the people who could vie for the goat of human beings who exhibited great faith. And Abraham gets twice the mention of anybody else. Moses is number two in in the length of mention on great faith. Because, again, when God thinks of great faith, and that's what Abraham and faith are kind of synonymous. And so you can think with people like that, Moses, Abraham, all, all these great heroes of the faith, and what that means is if we want to be used by God like that, if we want God's blessing in our life like he blessed them, if we want God to use us like he used them to shape us like he shaped them, then we too need to be people of great faith, which means that we've got to be people like Abraham who never wavered, who were just solid, who always obeyed, who always just there were these people who were all in, 100 percent committed, never wavering kind of people. At least that's the way I tend to think of them. And I know when I was early in my Christian faith, I was a, a teenager and in my early years of college, And I thought, man, I wanted God to use me. And I saw these people in the Bible and imagine what they were like. And so for me, it was really motivating to say, I'm going to be all in. I mean, some people, you see, you know, you hear about these heroes of the faith. And I don't know which kind of personality you are. Some personalities are like, you know what? I'm never going to be, I'm just not good at being good. I'm never going to be, So I'll, I'll just, I give up now. Like I'll watch other people do that. God will do big things through them. Probably not going to happen for me because I'm not very good at being good. Other people, depending on your personality, it's like, okay. if that's the deal, then that's who I'm going to be and I'm going to do it. And I'm I'm more kind of the latter kind of personality. So I was really serious about my faith and trying to be that all in 100 percent radical, committed person in high school, my early years of college. I was even a little bit scary, I think, and and maybe even a little intimidated, intimidating. And I was kind of proud of it and and I would look at other people who seemed kind of mediocre or half-hearted and kind of look down on them and then God broke me and uh, early in college and I realized that in all of my so-called which was just a facade all my so-called all inness and total commitment and all that was actually leaving Jesus behind as I was moving toward legalism and leaving Jesus behind in my busyness and leaving Jesus behind in my arrogance and, and, and I felt hollow in my relationship with God. Even though people would look at me and say, oh man, that's the person. I mean, man, you gotta be like that person. But I knew what it was like to be that person. And then I noticed that, that the kind of people that I, that just didn't seem that gung-ho that I thought weren't really with it, they'd seem more like Jesus than me. They were more joyful than me. They seem to have a deeper relationship with God and certainly with other people than me. And what began to happen was a wonderful correction. I'm thankful for it. Realizing that that the kind of people God uses are actually not these perfect people who are totally committed to Jesus. Because you know what? They don't exist. God's never used a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Ever. Ever. Because they don't exist. And so therefore, when you look at all the heroes of the faith and you really look at the story and you look, what you'll find is God, a God who loves to use imperfect people with imperfect faith and partial obedience to do all that, to do, to do the biggest things for him. And that's who he, but it's not just about imperfection. There's something else that's got to be there, right? Everybody's imperfect already, and most people don't really do anything. For, you know, They're, they're not a, some kind of big, like, oh, God's using this person kind of thing, and look what God's doing in their life. Imperfect is not the qualification. There is something that God looks for, and it is rare. Most people don't do this, and we're going to look at what that is. Like, like If it's not about perfection and total commitment and all that, then what is it that God looks for? And it's not just imperfection. That's not even a quote. That's, that's true. But it's something else that he looks at. And we're gonna, today, as we look at Abraham's story, we're gonna see it illustrated in the beginning of his story. And every one of us can do this. Most people don't, but it's totally in our control. So as we look at his story, you know, Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, so a long time ago. And Abraham's story is about how God uh, the first part of his story is how God calls him to a really big calling. So we're going to talk about the big call first because I also want us to understand that I believe God, and this is biblical, that God has a calling on your life too. Whether you know it or not, there's a call on your life. Paul told us that in Ephesians, that before you were even born, God created you with something to do. He had a work for you to do, that God thought about you. You came to this planet with a purpose, and therefore God designed you, he gifted you, he's allowed you to experience things that he wants to turn into purpose. All of us have a calling. And for Abraham, it was a, it was a really big one, because here's what God decided to do. Here's how big it is in the story. So when Adam and Eve and you know, sinned, and sin came into the world, and everything's messed up, and now we have a messed up world, God decided to intervene in this messed up world to fix it. And the first part of that plan was to choose a person through whom a nation would come. And that nation would be his people on this planet that would be a light to the other nations. That would let the other nations know there is a God who created you, who loves you, and you can know. And to make that possible. And to be also his people that would be a blessing where God could pour out his blessing to the world and blessing to the nations. And even more importantly, through whom... Eventually, the Savior, which we know to be Jesus, would be born, would come, who would bring about the opportunity for people to be reconciled to God, to have a relationship with him. and would also begin the process of making this world the way it was supposed to be before sin ruined it. And we're right in the middle of that right now. Jesus will come back one day and finish that job. But it all that whole plan starts with God choosing a person. Through whom the people would come, through whom the nation would come. And that person was Abraham. And why he chose Abraham versus anybody else alive at the time, we have no idea because God doesn't tell us why he chooses you, why he chooses me. I don't know, but he does. And so God calls Abraham, he was just like everybody else. He was at the time, he lived in a place called Ur, which was this massive city for that time, a big city. In a very pagan environment, meaning they he would have grown up worshiping idols Uh, right in the middle of his town was this big temple to the sun, to the moon God, because that was their chief deity is the moon God. And he would have been all in that. He wouldn't have really known anything about God until God shows up in a dramatic way. We're not told very much about how it happens, but in Acts 7, we're told that he does see God, whatever that means. So God appears to him. He sees God. God speaks the call, which we'll read in a minute to his life. And it was dramatic enough that he knows, hey, this is my creator. This is God. This isn't some idol. And he's got to choose what he's going to do. And here's the call in Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, which his name is going to be changed to Abraham. We'll get there in the series. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, that's a massive call. We'll examine it a little bit more as God puts this in front of him. And I think it's important to just pause a minute because my guess is some of you feel God nudging you forward too. That there is some next step that you believe God is calling you to take. And it may be scary. It's easier not to. But there's some next step that you believe God is calling It could be into the life of this church. Maybe it's a step into some ministry thing. Maybe there's just something at work that you know God is calling you to do. Something in a relationship that God is calling you to do. Maybe you know God is calling you from disobedience in some area of life to obedience. To submitting to what God teaches. And maybe in your sexual life, in your financial life, in your business life, in some... I, I don't know. But it it's... A big step to move from, a, you know, it's the right thing, but it's still hard to move from that state to whatever God's calling you to do. There's a million things it could be, right? Maybe God is, you feel, nudging you to actually cross the line of faith and start a relationship with him. But you've got your doubts. You've got things going, you know, and, and that's a big step. And for Abraham, he was clearly in that time. And what would God do? This was a massive call. I mean, what would Abraham do? And Abraham does take the big step. And it was a big step to take. And you've got to give him huge credit for it. Because, I mean, to leave everything behind, he doesn't know hardly anything about God. There's no Bible. He doesn't. I mean, and, and he's supposed to go to the promised land. We learn in Hebrews, we'll look at it later, that he went not knowing where he was going. Which is kind of like me, because I get lost everywhere I go. I never know where I'm going. Thank God for GPS. But for him... He had all he knew was, hey, here's this place and you're going to go. He had no idea how it would happen. And that's a big, scary thing. But he does take that step. And it sounds great. And you think, yep, see, it's all in perfect commitment. I mean, he's just. But actually, when you examine the story, as we will today, it wasn't so perfect. It does take the he does take the step, but impartially so. It was a step of imperfect faith. And partial obedience. Because yeah, he does go, which is huge. But we also see that he doesn't do part, half of it. Half of it was, leave your people, leave your extended family, leave your father's household and go. But he doesn't do that. Instead of leaving his father's household and his extended family, he takes them with him. His father and Lot, his nephew... And all of their baggage and all of their stuff. And that's going to cause a massive problem, a lot of massive problems for him. But all of us have things that are hard to let go of. Even if we know we should, it's still hard to let go, right? I, I bet you can think of things about like, man, if God called me to let go of that, I don't know if I could. And for Abraham, why would he take his dad? I mean, it's good to love your dad and all I'm a dad, I, you know, Colin, Caleb, if you're watching, don't leave me behind But but why would he do that? Well, in that culture, it would have been a huge affront to leave. It was just these huge families, extended families lived together. He was the patriarch of the family, his dad. He would have been the one calling the shots. He would have been the one with all the wealth, too. So to leave dad behind meant leaving your wealth behind. And this was a wealthy family. It meant leaving your inheritance behind. You'd be giving up a whole lot to leave dad behind. And he's not, he didn't do it. He's going to bring all that with him. And God would eventually bless him, but that's going to cause some problems. He also decided to bring Lot, his nephew, and all of his stuff behind. And it's worth just stopping one more time here in the story to say that what you see in the life of Abraham, and we're going to see it illustrated, is that that partial obedience, even though God doesn't abandon him and God still considers, God still uses him and sees it as faith, that partial obedience is going to bite him. Because it always does. When you and I disobey God, when we don't do what we know God wants, when we don't submit to his, what he's revealed in his word, when we choose sin, in the short run, it f- probably feels a little bit better. But it always comes with consequence. It always comes with a bite. It's the principle of the harvest in the Bible that you always reap what you sow. But the problem with the harvest is you know when you plant a seed, right? It it will come up, but it takes time, and in that time, you feel like you're getting away with it. So you may know what God wants you to do in a relationship or with your finances or in something. Or you know God doesn't want you to do this or do... And, but you do it anyway. You're not really submitting that part of your life to God. And, and for a long time it can feel like you're winning until you're not. Until the consequence comes. Some of you are trying to dig out of consequences right now. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But for Abraham... The consequences were really severe. You're going to, we're going to see that through the story with all the wealth that he wasn't supposed to have yet. is going to be really difficult on this kind of journey through the desert to the place of promise that God wanted for him. Makes it almost impossible but it, because it's a consequence of a sinful choice. Also, Lot is going to cause him all kinds of problems and is going to cause a lot of people all kinds of problems. A whole city-state's gonna be destroyed. I mean, it's not good. And then immediately in the story, you see another consequence. And that is, they start out on the journey from Ur. They're going through their country, which there's another city on the edge of their country called Haran. And then you have the desert, which is long, hundreds of miles of desert, and then the land of promise. And so what you have after the big step is what I'll call the big pause. And the big pause is a consequence of his partial obedience. And it's, a co- and it's also partial obedience itself. And, and, and here's what, what I mean. Genesis 11:31. Terah took his son Abram, so Terah's dad, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, to go to the land of the promise. Very good. But when they came to Haran... They settled there. Notice that word, they settled there. That was not God's plan. Uh, Haran was supposed to be a stopover. Kind of like some of you, you know, spring break is coming up. Um, Some of you are probably already in it or you're about to be in it, spring break, and you'll take a road trip. And I love road trips and, you know, and and I remember family road trips when our kids were little and that was always kind of fun. And you know how on a road trip, of course, if it's a long road trip, you got to you got to stop every once in a while. You got to get gas. You got to go to the bathroom. You got to get some food. Right. You got to do the whole thing. And that can be tough um, sometimes, because if you're like my personality and you're the one that's, you know, especially if you're the one driving, it's hard to pull over. Right. Because all the people you've been passing all this time. Right. They're going to catch up. And they may even get out of you. And now you're going to have to pass them all over again. It was hard to help my family understand how important that was on the road. It's like a race, you know, and all these people. And uh, and, and so we'd pull over and I'd always try to, hey, let's okay. You know, we're going to get gas. Uh, we're going to go to the bathroom. We're going to focus. We're going to get food. Uh, and everybody, if it was just a convenience store stop, everybody, we we'd let our kids choose one thing. Now, if you're going to choose one thing, one snack, what would it be? Would it be Twizzlers? Slurpee? Uh, I don't know what it is. You know, you know the number one thing? I, I looked this up in Texas that people get on road trips. I was really surprised by it. In Alabama, where I'm from, it's combos is the number one snack. But in Texas, the number one snack is, and this surprised me, rice cakes. That's what I said. I'm like, really? What's going on in Texas with rice cake? I mean, you're getting your healthy on. That's good. You know, that, I guess we're doing that. But that's the deal, you know. And um, I, I, in one place, it's it, it, you know, Twizzlers. As well. I mean, all these other states. I, I don't know what's going on in Texas. We need to pray about it. But it's uh, something going on. So it's supposed to be a quick stop is the whole point of this. But instead, it ends up being a very long stop. Because they settle there. They only go from Ur to Haran and they settle there. Why? Well, a couple reasons. One, that's what dad wanted, Tara. Because notice, when he brings Terah, he doesn't leave Terah behind. When he brings Terah, when he doesn't leave his father's household, but brings his father's household, who's in charge? Dad is, because that's their culture. The patriarch's in charge. So Abraham's not calling the shots, and that's what Terah wants to do, and that's what they do. And the second reason, and the reason Terah would have wanted it and, and decided to stop and settle is because Haran was pretty awesome. Compared to the desert, hundreds of miles of desert with all their livestock and all their stuff and all that. How's that going to happen? And Haran was an incredible place, way better than Ur, er, where they were from. It was on the banks of the Euphrates River. It was a very fertile valley. They, they were wealthy, which in that world all their meant a lot of livestock to plenty of places for their livestock to graze. I'm sure they bought land. I'm sure they had a great place to live. I'm sure it was awesome in Haran. Also, it was a confluence of all these trade routes. So it was a very wealthy place for a wealthy family to be able to get even wealthier. Haran had it going on. It was a comfortable place. And so they settle. And I want us to think of Haran as the place of comfort. And Canaan, where God told them to go, is the place of promise. And they decided to settle for the place of comfort versus moving toward the place of promise. And we do that too. Because between the place of comfort and the place of promise was the desert. And they knew that. Now we'll look at that part of the story next week the desert. But it's always true. Between the place of comfort, wherever we are, and the place where God's calling, most of the time, you go through desert. And that's why most people just stay in the place of comfort. And live in the place of comfort. And settle their whole life, settle in the place of comfort. It's easy to do. I know. I'm pretty good at it. When God is calling us to the place of promise. And all of his blessing and all that you have to take by faith. Like the thing we talked about earlier about maybe God is stirring in your life, maybe He's calling you to take some next step or to do. If you're not willing to leave comfort for promise, you'll never do it. It'll just you'll have the good intentions. You'll be like, yeah, really, man, I should do that. I really want to. I mean, even saying, man, I, I'm going to begin a relationship with God means that's uncomfortable. Or to open up your life for change, you know, to God to change some area of your life. Change is not comfortable. It's easier just to stay the same. Even if you know, yeah, the promise, the place of promise I'm sure is better, but it's just easier to stay where I am. You know, or, or maybe it's, you know, God's calling you into, into some kind of ministry step or spiritual growth step or it's easier just to not do it. Or in the financial area of life. You know what God, I mean, God tells us what to do and how to build our life around generosity and that He will bless that and empower that and that we lose when we try to hang on rather than give generously and sacrificially and a percentage and, you know, all this stuff that God tells us. But it's easier not to. And we think we're winning in the place of comfort and we don't realize what we're giving up if we just were willing to take, to give that up. So that we could know his promise and know his blessing and know his grace that comes with obedience. And all of us have that struggle and you may be struggling with it right now. Let me encourage you. Let me nudge you if you're paused to push play. Now he gets paused. He gets stuck for a while. 15 years. They settle. 15 years. Of wasted time. And the only thing that allows him to move forward is dad dies. Tara dies. And so now Abraham's the patriarch, which means he gets all the wealth and he inherits everything. Which again is going to cause him problems, but he, you know, he he gets his stuff and now they're ready to go. And they do. And you have to give him credit because it would have still been easier to stay right there where they were. It, it, it does. So with all of, it, all of his imperfection and all of the stuff we've talked about, he does kind of do the big step back. He, he resumes. He gets back on track. And that's not easy to do. Some of you are here in church because you're trying to take a step back on track. And way to go. It's not easy to do that. And He does. But what it shows us as we look at this part of the story is that Abraham, even though yeah he does go, notice it's not a very perfect journey. But listen to the way God in, in, in the book of um, Hebrews, that chapter that I talked about, like the Hall of Fame of Faith, when God is talking about the faith of Abraham. Here's one of those verses summarizing this part of his life. And I want you to hear God's summary looking back at the story we just heard. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Notice how generous that is. He doesn't say, oh, you know, Abraham, yeah, he eventually went, but holy moly, what a goober. (laughs) Like, Man, he would not leave his inheritance behind and not leave his family. And boy, did that cause problems. And then, you know, he stays in Haran for 15 stinking years. And I'm up in heaven thinking, dude, come on. You're such a loser. Don't you get it? There's promise. And then, and by the way, the 15 year thing, we'll see this next week, is also causes real problems because after 15 years, when he goes into the land, it's in a time of famine and that's going to be difficult. He's going to get freaked out and go to Egypt, which he shouldn't have. But all of that if he had gone when God told him to, there wouldn't have been famine. It would have been, he would have had opportunity to be established in the land, to be prepared for that famine and to be okay. But the 15 years kills that. There's all kinds of problems. That, and God could have poked on all these in Hebrews 11. But he doesn't. Because in the end, what God looks for is not Perfection. But he does look for something. And Abraham illustrates that something. Because like every hero of the faith. God uses imperfect people to do his work. He uses flawed people. Messy people to do his work. So what is it that those people have? And I would summarize it as a forward lean. Toward God. The faith is not perfect. But it is placing ourselves in God's hand and moving toward what he wants for us. And Even though that is, a for imperfect people, a very imperfect journey. In a forward lean, you could call it imperfect availability. Where we open our lives to God and we keep taking steps and we keep taking steps. Even if our journey, and it will be, is one step forward and two steps back. Or has failure in it where we get caught in a ditch of disobedience and all the consequences and all that. And it'd be easier just to give up and think, oh, and, but, but people like Abraham, when they fail they and they fall and they falter, they fall forward into God's arms, into God's grace. He will not undo our disobedience or the consequences of our, typically we'll have to go through that. But he's very happy to help us through it, to, to dig us out of it. And, and that people who are, are people like Abraham are people who just keep not not that they won't fall back. But generally, there's a forward lane in their life and all their mistakes and all their messiness and all their sins and all their problems. They just keep moving toward God. And God meets them in the mess and God meets them in the imperfection. And that's where he grows us. Our mess and imperfection is like his playground. It's what, it's where he does his work because ultimately what he wants more than anything is not just to use us, but he wants to grow us and he wants to know us. There's a guy named Mike Iacchinelli that in that time in my life I mentioned God used this book called Messy Spirituality. It's a great book. But here's just part of that and it was so helpful to me. Spirituality is not a formula. It is not a test. It is a relationship. Spirituality is not about competency, it's about intimacy. Spirituality is not about perfection, it is about connection. The way of the spiritual life begins where we are now, in the mess of our lives. Accepting the reality of our broken, flawed lives is the beginning of spirituality, not because the spiritual life will remove our flaws, but because we let go of seeking perfection and instead seek God The one who is present in the tangledness of our lives. Spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God being present in our unfixedness. And he meets us there. And he grows our obedience muscles. He grows our faith muscles. He grows our relationship with him. Imperfect people over time with a forward lean. That's what God loves to do. Which is good news for people like me. Good news for people like Abraham. Good news for people like Frank. Who's Frank? <laughs> so Frank is a guy, little guy. I've never met him. I look forward to meeting. I hope I, you know in heaven one day, but I, I can relate to Frank. So around the time I was reading messy spirituality, I also had gotten this book called Children's Letters to God. And um, and I and I. I love reading them from time to time because, you know, Jesus said, hey, if you really want to be spiritual, hang out with five year olds and do it like they do. And so these are just I'll read you a couple before I get to Frank, because I think they're great and you can Google them, too. Here's one from Sarah, little girl. Dear God, please change the taste of asparagus. It's gross. Thanks, Sarah. That's her letter to God. Here's another one. Dear God, my turtle died. Is she there with you? If so, she likes lettuce. Susie. Here's one from Tommy. Dear God, I want to be just like you when I'm your age. Is that okay? Tommy. Dear God, I want to be just like my daddy when I grew up, but not with so much hair all over. Sam. I think this one's kind of profound. Dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. Elliot. I bet God loved that one. That gets us to my buddy Frank. Dear God, I'm doing the best I can. Frank. Frank. I can relate to Frank. God, I'm I'm doing the best I can. I know it's not pretty. I know it's frustrating for you. I know, you know, it'd be a lot better if I, you know, did better. But I feel like I'm doing the best I can. And even when I'm not doing the best I can, I I don't know what to tell you. I just, you know, I'm on the journey. And, And that's really it. It's being faithfully on the journey, even with our imperfections and failures and mess, and inviting God into that, even when we fall off, even when we falter. And that should be hugely encouraging to us, if we keep the forward lean. So what does that mean? Well, for some of you, maybe you're really discouraged because you're like, man, I'm so bad at this, I'm just going to give up. I don't think God's ever going to do anything. I just, God's saying, no, 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 that's what I want to move into, That though what you're doing right where you are right now is a really, really good place to be if you open up your life to God and he will help you move toward him and toward a better way and all of that. So don't be discouraged. Just allow him to help you get back on path. Some of you right now may be paused. Maybe you're in a place of comfort when you know God is calling you to a place of promise. But it's scary because the desert and what's going to happen and it's predictable. And let me just encourage you to push play. And to step, begin to step toward what you know God is calling you to do. Whatever step into relationship with him. A step into obedience where you're in disobedience. A place of something that he's calling you to do ministry wise or financially or I don't know. But take the scary step. God will meet you in that. He'll help you do that. Maybe you're in a place where you're just right in the middle of the consequences of sin. and and you're here because of that. That's why you're at church cuz like man my I'm I've really messed it up and I'm in this ditch and because even though God is gracious with imperfection, it's not that imperfection's a great idea or that partial obedience is a great idea. Sin always comes with consequences. But God doesn't give up on us and our consequences. If we lean into him, he will usually he's a good enough parent, not just to do away the consequences, but he will walk us through the consequences. And that actually becomes part of our story as we get back on path. It's like a guy named Eugene Peterson, who wrote another one of my favorite books, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, said, when we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us. He enters into our trouble and saves us. And some of you know that that's a big part of your story. It's a big part of my story. Anybody who's walked with God for any length of time. So don't feel like your sin means you're abandoned by God. But you do have the opportunity to invite Him into it, to find salvation and healing and moving toward what He wants for you. Because God loves to use people like Abraham, imperfect people with imperfect faith and often partial obedience to lean toward him and move ultimately have momentum in their life toward all that he wants for them. And that's good news, like I said, for people like Abraham, for people like me, for people like Frank, and maybe for people like you too. Let's pray together. And I'm going to, you know, what I love to do in messages is not just pray for you. I'll do that, but I think right now is such a great opportunity in these moments to talk to God ourselves. Because I don't know where you're coming from, but God does. And wherever you're coming from right now, for some of you, this may be the time to leave the place of comfort and move toward a place of promise. Maybe it's beginning a relationship with God. Understanding that he came, Jesus came for you and me to make that possible as he died on the cross to take away the penalty of sin and make it possible for us to know him. And he offers relationship with him as a gift. And maybe it's time to say, you know what, it's, I, I just need to take that step and begin a relationship with him. Maybe there's something else going on in your life. Maybe you're in a place of disobedience and you know it. And there's consequences that come with that. It's not a good place to be. And let me encourage you to move toward disobedience to some to obedience and just say, God, would you help me? Do what I need to do to make those hard decisions and get on your path. Maybe you're in consequences and you need God's help as you're working through all that. Maybe there's some, I have no idea what's going on in your life, but whatever it is, just say, God, would you help me lean forward with where I'm at right now to you and be more and more open, more and more available to all that you want from me. Father, we do thank you. For your patience. We're going to see it throughout the life of Abraham. This wonderfully imperfect person that you loved. And that you see as a person of great faith. As he continued in his imperfection to continue to move toward you and move toward you and move toward you. And would you help us learn from that and walk with you as well. In Jesus name. Amen.